others who are joining us um, online. Um, it's just, it's really good to be together. I, I will confess I'm a little nervous because for the last three, four months, I've only been preaching to Becky. So behind the camera, you know, it's just been her. And she's, she's, she's making some really good strides. I want you to know that in putting up with me, at least. So, but it is so good to be together. Today we're, we're continuing our series on the face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus, and I hope, I hope it has been um, not only something where you've discovered things, but I hope it's been personal. It's one of the reasons why we chose these topics and these particular encounters in the scripture was as a reminder that even though we've been separated for such a long period of time, we still can have a face-to-face -face encounter with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And he longs to be with us in every circumstance that we go through. Well, last week we explored uh, how a lawyer, an expert in biblical law, asked Jesus a question about who is our neighbor. And Jesus answered with the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan and helped us to understand and give a clear focus in on who God sees as our neighbor. And as he tells that story, we discovered that our neighbor is often someone who is very different from us. Oftentimes they are different racially, politically, culturally, even religiously. They may have a different worldview, a different life experience, but God calls us to love them as Jesus loves us and as Jesus loves them. Each of these individuals that we sometimes maybe struggle with understanding or coming alongside of, we need to remember that they are made in the image of God and they are incredibly precious to him. Therefore, they should be precious to us as well. Well, that particular encounter had to do with one of the two great commandments where Jesus said there are two great commandments that the whole law can be summarized in these two commandments. And he said the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to demonstrate the love that we have for God by loving others. Well, today in our face-to-face -face encounter in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going to zero in on the heart of each and every one of us around the first commandment, that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. So I wanna invite you, if you have a Bible or if you have an app, to go ahead and turn to, to Mark chapter 10. We're gonna watch it on the screen again because I've, I've enjoyed looking at the, the Luma Project videos and we'll, I'm gonna show you that scripture in just a moment. But to kind of set the stage, this um, is focused in on a question that a, a rich young ruler um, he was a ruler in the synagogue. That's what it means in the scripture. He was, he was a religious ruler. He asks a question about what must I do to inherit or to earn eternal life? And as I was thinking about that, um, a common site in the city of Prague, in fact, there's a little video clip. Go ahead and play the video clip. We live in an amazing city, but there's one particular site that I walk past every day. In fact, it's right outside my window. It's that, the Zishkov TV Tower, voted number two ugliest building in the world, okay? I get to see it every day. It doesn't matter how you light it up. It's still ugly. 
but it reaches to heaven. And then, you know, several years ago, David Cherney, the, the famous artist, decided to put his babies on the tower. Now, I'm not sure what he had in mind when he put those babies on the tower. I've heard all kinds of different interpretations of what that means because the babies have kind of distorted faces that are like barcodes and identities not there and they're never maturing like the Czech Republic is never reaching what it should be because of different political failures. But I started thinking about the picture and here's what it means to me now. If we think about this question, how good is good enough? How good is good enough to get to heaven? And if we understand that from God's perspective, getting to heaven requires perfection, then it's as impossible for us to reach heaven as it would be for a baby to climb the Zhishkov Tower. So that's what it means to me now. So from now on, it has a spiritual meaning and it's just a reminder we can't do it on our own. Now, maybe, how many of you uh, who are parents, how many of you had a climber, especially when they were like two or three, that climbed on you? Anybody? We, yes, we had one. Any, anybody else? That one right there. You were a climber. I am, <laughs> she is so embarrassed now. You know that little, I mean, have you seen those videos sometimes on face, um, Facebook or whatever where you'll see this little toddler that does this amazing thing that's caught on some camera where they climb out of the bed and, or they climb up the, the dresser drawers and they do these incredible things. But even as gifted as they may be, there's no way that a baby could climb up the Zhishkov Tower. They just can't do it. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out to the man that we discover here in Mark chapter 10. So let's look at the scripture and we're going to see how Jesus answers the question of how good is good enough to get to God. Let's listen to the scripture. Let's go ahead and roll Mark chapter 10 in the story of the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at these. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. 
and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This story focuses around eternal life and it focuses around what the requirement is for us to be able to receive eternal life from God. It's a powerful story. In fact, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in three of the four Gospels. And in each of the tellings of the story, we learn more details. We learn different things. For instance, Luke tells us that he was young that um, he wasn't just a rich man, he happened to be at the, in the prime of his life. He also tells us that he was a ruler. He was one who had a position of authority in the synagogue. From Matthew, we discover that he was not just wealthy, he was extremely rich. Now, on the surface, most of us, if I asked you to, to raise your hand, if you felt you were rich, very few of us would raise their hand. But this man represents each and every one of us because he represents anything that has priority in our life apart from God. In the case of the rich young ruler, his priority was his wealth, was his resources. In fact, it had become an idol in his life. It had become a counterfeit God that was keeping him from the Lord. This is the only time where Jesus tells someone to sell their possessions. It's not a command that we should follow and we should ask everyone to give everything away. That's not what Jesus does. Um, it was a specific command given to a specific person because the idol, the counterfeit God that he was battling was his wealth. Now each of us, chances are, we have some counterfeit gods in our own heart that we need the Lord to reveal to us that we need to place back into his hands. That's the focus ultimately of this passage. And it relates to each and every one of us. Jesus put it this way in Matthew's gospel. He said in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Our ultimate allegiance funnels down into one thing only. We can only serve one God. Oftentimes, though, we have lesser gods that compete for our worship, that compete for first place in our heart. It might be money or comfort or respect or pride or position or sex or power or possessions. You don't have to be wealthy to covet and to desire what someone else has. But we need to recognize that any of those things can rob us of the life that God longs to give us in Jesus Christ. 
So what is an idol? What is the thing that we need to be set free of just like the rich young ruler needed to be set free of his being controlled by his possessions? Well, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God does. Anything that you seek and believe that it will give you satisfaction or purpose or meaning or wholeness. If you're pursuing that thing, whatever it is, it very well may be an idol, a counterfeit God. You see, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Your health can be an idol. For, for some folks, that's a real struggle right now with the threat of the, of the virus and the things that are going on. It may be your social interaction may be an idol. And so it's a time when we need to ask the Lord to examine our own hearts so that we can be free. Understand that the reason why Jesus said what he said to this rich, rich young ruler was one purpose only. Did you see it there in the scripture? It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Out of love, he longed to set him free, to give him the thing that his heart most longed for, for purpose, for comfort, for identity, for meaning. And that was missing because he was placing it in something besides God himself. And so that's the purpose why God asks us to examine our hearts as well, is so he can fill us. There's, there's a simple little saying that um, I've used many times, and it's just a reminder to, to me more than anything. God can only fill empty hands. If I'm coming with my hands and my arms full of all my stuff, of all the things that are important to me, then how can God fill me with himself? There's, a, at a, um, there's an interesting, I may have told this before, I'm getting old, so sometimes I repeat myself. There's an, it, does anybody know how you catch a monkey? Any, anybody know? Oh, good, I haven't told it then. All right, so the way that you catch a monkey is, especially in Asia, is what you would do, or, or in Africa, is you would take a gourd and you would fill, you'd cut off the top of the, of the gourd, but it would have a, a neck there that was um, thinner, and you would fill it with rice, and you'd tie a rope around the gourd. And you'd fill it with rice and you'd put it out so knowing that a monkey is going to come and put his hand in it. And what happens is when the monkey puts his hand in there and he grabs a handful of rice, his hand gets bigger because it's full of rice and he can't pull it out of the gourd. And he refuses to let it go. All he'd have to do to be set free is to let go of the rice and pull his hand out. But he's just like us. And so he's caught. And the person who set the snare will come along, catch the monkey, because even with the person right there, he won't let go. What God wants you and I to do is let go of anything that's holding us prisoner, that keeps us from being filled with the presence and power of God, to be living in union and intimacy with him. That's ultimately what this story is all about. Well, what about this rich young ruler? He's impressive. He's the, here's the thing. If you and I would have met this rich young ruler, those of you who are older like, like me, he's the exact kind of guy you want your daughter to date, okay? 
I mean, he's influential, he's powerful, he's respectful, he's wealthy. I mean, all the little boxes that you want to, you know, check off, he's well-educated. I mean, he fits every criteria. He is impressive until he encounters Jesus. And that facade that we are so impressed with begins to come apart. It begins to fall down. So let's look at him. First of all, what we see is the rich young ruler was a moral man. In the encounter in, in, in verse 19, Jesus answers his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He answers it this way. He says, you know the commandments, and Jesus lists off part of the commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, I don't know about you. Um, some of these I could check that box off. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've not committed murder um, or, or adultery, at least by the definition of how it's done as an act. But the way Jesus defines it, I'm guilty because he defines it in our minds. And I've certainly borne false witness. I've not always honored my father and mother. I couldn't answer the, the way that the rich young ruler did. I couldn't say I've kept all these from my youth. But he could. And, and there's no indication here in the text that he was being insincere. So he really was a moral, a good guy. Now, Jesus could have debated the deeper meaning of each of these commandments, but he did not. Nor did Jesus say, aha, have you really never ever lied? Have you really dealt completely honestly with everyone? But Jesus does not do that. He does not contest the young man's morality. I believe that this rich young ruler was a man of integrity. But notice that Jesus in his list of commandments gives numbers five through 10. They're the second part of, of that grouping of the 10 commandments and they deal with how we treat others. The ones that are summed up in the great commandment of loving your neighbor as yourselves. But Jesus doesn't mention the first commandments. The ones about having no God besides the Lord your God. Because that's one he had broken. You see, everything on the outside of this man looked impressive. Everyone else would have thought, man, this guy has it all together. But Jesus saw his heart. Well, he was a moral man, but secondly, we see that he was a brave man. Luke's account puts it this way in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. He says, and the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As a, as a ruler, um, he's going to Jesus. That was risky because everybody else would have known that he came up to him. Every other person in power in the synagogue would have realized that he's going to Jesus and he's asking the most important question. Shouldn't he be asking that question of, of older rabbis that are at his own synagogue? He could be ostracized. He could be put out because he's going to Jesus. But he goes because somewhere deep inside, 
He asks this question, even knowing in his own mind that he's been a good person, a moral person, he's kept these commandments, he knows something is missing. And the truth is, all of us know that we cannot be good enough. Not only can a baby not climb the Zhishkov Tower, neither could any of us, not on our own. What is even greater is none of us could get to God on our own. We just can't be good enough. God came to us. That's the hope and the good news of the gospel. So this guy was moral. He was brave. He also was respectful. It says that he ran up to Jesus and knelt down before him. He showed respect for who Jesus is. He chose to honor him. But his respect had its limits. The problem for the rich young ruler and the reason I believe um, he addressed Jesus as good is because he saw himself as good. See, it says that he ran up to Jesus and said, good teacher, and Jesus asked him, he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And, and the way he's saying that in the text, if we look at it in the original language, he's saying the true definition of what good is is not almost, it's perfect. Therefore, the only one who meets the definition of truly good is God alone. Now, Jesus could claim that because that's who he is. But he was making sure that this young man, as well as us, understood that the level we have to reach, that perfection, is something only God can reach. Therefore, we can't do it in our own resources no matter how much we have, no matter how good we are, how moral, how respectful, how brave, we all fall short. For that's what the scripture tells us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what Jesus does then is he begins to then challenge this young ruler with the first commandments with the commandments about not having any God before the Lord God in his life. This is why Jesus tells him to go and to give his possessions to the poor. Jesus is letting the young man see a glimpse of his true heart. He's revealing the thing that he worships in place of God himself, and that's his own resources, reputation, and power. Now understand, the answer to the man's question of what I must do to inherit eternal life is in Jesus' words, not in the selling of your possessions, but in the simple words that follow, come and follow me. The way to have eternal life is found through Jesus. It's through placing our trust in him because Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live, absolutely perfect, never sinned. Jesus also died the death that you and I deserved. He paid on the cross the penalty that sin required. He paid the full price for you and for me. And the only way for us to come to God, to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life, is not to be more religious, not to go to church more often, not to, to give away more things, but to put our trust in Jesus Christ and to follow him. He brings us to the Lord because he is the Lord. He lived the perfect life for us. So in looking at the rich young man, 
we see that he was moral, that he was brave, that he was respectful, but also we see that he was lost. His own treasures, his own idols kept him from following Jesus. He had said, all these I have kept from my youth in Matthew 19, 20. What do I still lack? And then in Mark 10, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In all the accounts and the encounters that we have in the scripture of Jesus, this is the only one where we see someone went away from Jesus sorrowful. Most went away from Jesus rejoicing, filled with, with joy, with life, with contentment. Some went away angry because they were seeking to destroy Jesus, but this is the only one that we see who went away filled with sorrow because he wasn't willing to give God the very deepest part of his heart. He was caught up in his own resources, in his own treasure. Jesus was seeking to set this man free from what possessed him, his resources. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, power, approval, comfort, and control are meta-idols that hold sway over our daily lives. We need to release those and give them back to the Lord. Now understand what Jesus is doing, his call isn't a call to poverty. It is a call to discipleship, which takes many forms. He calls the man to put down his idols and allow God to fill him with real life and with real treasure. That's what he's asking you and I to do as well. Well, he was a lost man, but fifthly, I want you to see this. It's so important. The rich young ruler was a loved man. But to receive that love, something had to go. His idols. I love how the scripture puts it. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, our understanding is that Jesus is God. Therefore, he has he has knowledge, he has understanding. He can look at a person's heart and know how they're gonna respond. He knew this man was gonna reject him. And yet it says he loved him. Isn't that good news for you and I? That God looks at us before we've done anything that could ever, ever, ever point to us and say, wow, that was good. He loves us. And he wants us to have life in him. I've said this many times to you. Jesus loves us knowing everything that we've ever done and he chose to die for us anyway. He looked at this man and loved him. But in order for him to receive that love, he had to empty his hands of the things that possessed him, his idols. The same is true for us in each and every case. So look at it this way. How much of you does Jesus deserve? Is 10% okay? 
50%? He's the God of the universe. He deserves 100% of all of us. Every single one of us. And when we hold back a piece of ourselves from him, we are seeking to take God's rightful place. And it is only when we release all that we are to him that we are then filled with life and with joy. You see, that's why Jesus is speaking in this way to this man. He wants to set him free. Jesus asks, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is worth your eternal destiny and your true happiness, true fulfillment? You see, if we try to find it in something outside of God, it will never, ever deliver. So God calls us to let go. So my question simply today is, ask the Lord to speak to your own heart. Is there something that's keeping you from following Jesus either for the, for the first time in placing your faith in him where you're trusting in your own goodness, your own ability, your own reputation, how you compare to others? Is there something that's keeping you from following him? And for those who've already trusted him, is there something that's, that you're holding back from the Lord like that monkey holding onto the rice that you refuse to give back to him. The Lord wants you to open up your hand, let it go, so that he can fill you with his life to give you purpose and meaning beyond all you ever had hoped for. Is there something you're keeping from the Lord? Resources, relationship, reputation, abilities, control, idols, is there a counterfeit God in your own heart and life that Jesus would say, put that down so you can truly follow me? You see, the idols keep us from intimacy and enjoying our union with God through Jesus Christ. An idol can keep you from faith in God by trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus and an idol in the life of a believer can rob you of growing intimacy with God. That's why Jesus said it this way in the passage in verse 23. He looked to his disciples and he said, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Our own resources, our own sense of goodness, our own sense of worth often stands in the way of us receiving God's gift. And the disciples were amazed at his words in verse 24 and Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, it's not only difficult, it's impossible because you cannot serve two masters. In verse 26, he says, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You see, on our own, it doesn't matter whether we're rich or whether we're poor, none of us could inherit eternal life on our own. It is a gift of God that we must receive through Christ Jesus. We need to understand that our self-righteousness 
is worthless. I thought of it this way, actually. Our self-righteousness is just like this bill. Anybody who's, who's older recognize this bill at all? What, what is this? It's 10 crowns, but not only 10 crowns, which is, we obviously know is not a whole lot anymore. This is a Czechoslovakian bill. It is currency for a country that no longer exists. And of course, obviously, I couldn't find a real one, so I just printed out my own. So now you know I'm counterfeiting money from countries that no longer exist uh, at home. Um, but it means it's absolutely worthless. It didn't matter if it said 1,000 or 100,000, it's a currency that has no value. Jesus tells us through the scriptures that our righteousness is like, before God is like filthy rags. It is a currency that has absolutely no worth in heaven. The only thing that truly is worthwhile is the absolute righteousness of Christ. And he willingly gives that to us when we trust in him. He is the reason that we can have eternal life. He is the reason that we have purpose and meaning and joy. It is all found in him. And that's what Jesus ends with here in, in this passage. The promised reward for releasing our reliance on ourselves and on anything else to fully follow Jesus he tells us then in verse 29, truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. The many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus' promise is that the things that we deepest, most deeply long for, for relationship, for purpose, for meaning, for family, any of that that you give up for the Lord, he promises to fill you abundantly more. Now this isn't a, a promise of prosperity. That's not what Jesus means. First off, he says, with persecutions. But also, he's saying that what I give you, I give you when I give you a family, I give you the church. I give you people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that become brothers and sisters, that become family, that oftentimes are closer than our physical family. I give you life, I give you purpose, I give you meaning that lasts for all eternity. That's what the reward, reward that Jesus offers us. That's what he was ultimately offering to this rich young ruler. He was offering him something far greater, of much greater worth than all the wealth that he had. But he couldn't receive it because he wouldn't open up his hands and his heart to the Lord. If we want to have true life, we have to give all that we are to the Lord. That's why the first commandment, the great commandment is, you shall love your Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Because God deserves all of it. When Jesus talks about following him, he talks about a cost of discipleship. 
He tells us to count the cost and to recognize that there is a price that we pay to follow Jesus. Salvation is a free gift. We can't earn it. But we can't take ourselves with us. We can't take our own pride, our own um, counterfeit gods, our own idols into the presence of a holy God. We have to lay them down in order to receive all that he has for us. That's what Jesus wants to give you and me. When Jesus saves us, he empowers us to love the Lord with all that we are. But in order for us to do that, we need to give all that we are to him. So that's really the invitation today. Is there a piece of you that you've been holding onto? Maybe even as you've gone through this season that has been just so different in, in the course of normal life. God's revealed some things, some anxiety, some fears, some hurts, some, some areas of anger in your life that maybe are beginning to point out areas that you've not given to the Lord. That he says, would you just trust me with that? Trust me with all that you are. Trust me with your future. Trust me with your hope. Trust me with your heart. Jesus says, you'll find that I'm well worth it. I'm worth far more than anything else you could ever gain. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today. Your Holy Spirit will, uh, will intercede. Or there's people here from all different backgrounds, all different experiences. And Lord, they need to know that you love them, that you're for them. And Lord, that when they trust you with all that they are, that they find life. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of our hearts? Would you reveal areas within us that we need to just place afresh in your hands? For those maybe who've never trusted you, or would you simply enable them today to call in the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, would you save me? I want to know you. I want to come into a relationship with you. For others that have known you for a while, Lord, would you just reveal the idols of our heart? Reveal to me, Lord, the things that I hold on to, the things that I worship, that I seek to find comfort in apart from you. And Lord, by your grace, would you enable us to let them go today and place them in your hands, Lord, that we may not only follow you, but Lord, that we may accomplish your purpose and we may show others the reason that we have hope in this life, no matter what we face, is because of your son, Jesus Christ. Enable us, Lord, to be still in your presence and enjoy you for who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.